Hi, I'm Linda Calabresi. I'm a GP and the medical editor of HealthEd. Welcome to our unique podcast series now available direct to your device. The series features some of Australia's leading clinical experts talking on topics that are both practical and important to Australian GPs. Welcome everyone to this talk on direct oral anticoagulants, some common dosing challenges. My name is Ron Castellino. I'm a senior lecturer in pharmacy at the University of Sydney, a renal pharmacist and an accredited pharmacist providing medication reviews. A quick overview of what we're going to discuss today. We'll start off with a bit of an introduction on some of the limitations of DOACs. We'll talk about the extent of the problem, and then we'll go into the specifics of, of using these DOACs in kidney disease, extremes of body weight, and liver disease. I'm sure all of you are familiar with the DOACs that are available in Australia. These have been around for well over 10 years now. We use three main agents in Australia, apixaban, dabigatran, and rivaroxaban. When they first burst onto the scene, studies showed that they were as effective as that of warfarin. They have fewer side effects, that is, they have less bleeds because they have a more directed action. Dabigatran, for example, acts directly on thrombin, um, whereas epixaban and rivaroxaban acts as anti-factor 10A agents. They also have other advantages. Um, they provide patients with an advantage of not having to routinely monitor their blood. They have fewer drug interactions. They also have a more rapid onset of action and they don't require a parenteral anticoagulant for, for as a bridging treatment. Now that our experience has grown with these agents, they've been used for well over a decade. Several studies have shown that, in fact, they're not just as effective as that of warfarin, but in fact, may be far better than warfarin. And if we look at this study, um, looking at the different causes of death in AF patients, we can see that there's clearly a, a, an advantage with DOACs and also it has a far significant bleeding compared to that of warfarin. So these drugs have now largely replaced warfarin for most clinical indications, and there's also been an expansion on the use of these agents. So currently we're using them for stroke prophylaxis in non-valvular AF. We use them for venous thromboembolism treatment and prevention. Rivaroxaban at a low dose along with aspirin is now approved for coronary artery disease and peripheral arterial disease. And of course, AF patients who are undergoing coronary intervention can also use these as part of triple therapy. While these are quite effective agents and they have replaced warfarin for most indications, they do have some limitations that we need to consider. Firstly, if patients are not adherent to their treatment, then the clinical consequences of that can be quite significant. There's no way of assessing that medication adherence because we're no longer routinely monitoring their coagulation parameters. They have some significant drug interactions to consider. And while dabigatran has a reversal agent available, epixaban and rivaroxaban reversal agents are not readily available in Australia and also they're expensive. More importantly, these drugs are not appropriate for all people. They are to be avoided in valvular AF, pregnancy and breastfeeding. Also, there's an extra caution in patients with kidney disease, liver disease, and extremes of body weight because there's limited data on its use. That brings us to our first dosing problem, that is renal impairment. We know that atrial fibrillation and chronic kidney disease are frequently comorbid. About one-third of AF patients have chronic kidney disease, and about 15 to 20% of patients with CKD have atrial fibrillation. So it's a very common clinical scenario. And if we look at some of this data, 
um, the incidence of AF in CKD patients is increased. Um, so about 7.3% in, in patients with CKD and in end-stage kidney disease that increases about 12 times. The relationship is very much bi-directional that patients who have got CKD, AF increases the risk of end-stage kidney disease by about two times. It's also very important to recognize that patients who have got AF and CKD, they are at an increased risk of stroke and thromboembolic complications, as well as bleeding complications. If we look at some of the data coming out from a Danish AF registry, people with CKD are about six times likely to have stroke or thromboembolic complications, and bleeding complications are about nine times more likely in patients with CKD. We do know that anticoagulants are recommended for patients with AF, but as we can see in patients with CKD, this is a very fine balance of assessing the risk of using an agent versus the benefit um, of these agents. More so with the DOACs because they're all cleared by the kidney. If we have a slightly closer look at their pharmacokinetics, we can see that dabigatrin is heavily cleared by the kidney about 80% renal elimination, and probably the agent to avoid in patients with kidney disease. Rivaroxaban has slightly less clearance, about 33%, and Epixaban has about 25% clearance through the kidney. And that is reflected in the current dosing recommendations. We can see that dabigatrin use is contraindicated, less than 30 mils of kidney function because of its extensive renal elimination. Rivaroxaban, on the other hand, does not require dosage adjustment for VT treatment or prevention as long as the kidney function is more than 15 mils. For non-valvular AF, rivaroxaban requires a dosage adjustment between 15 to 50 mils. Epixaban, like rivaroxaban, does not require dosage adjustment for VT treatment, but data is very limited on its use in, in less than 25 mils of kidney function. For non-valvular AF, epixaban follows a slightly different prescribing criteria in that it needs the lower dose can be prescribed if it fulfills two of the three criteria, that is an age greater than 80 years, weight less than 60 kilograms, or a serum creatinine greater than 133 micromoles. So DOACs can be used um, safely with appropriate dosage adjustment in patients with kidney disease. And that is reflected in, the, in a recent Cochrane review, which has, um, which has highlighted that DOACs are as safe as warfarin and equally effective as that of warfarin. There is a catch, however. Most of this evidence is coming from trials that have been conducted in patients who have a kidney function more than 30 mils. There's very limited evidence in patients with kidney disease less than 30 mils. The other big question mark is what is the ideal measure to use when dosing in renal impairment? And not surprisingly, recent studies have shown that about 32% of patients experience inappropriate DOAC dosing. So let's tackle the first question. That's the lack of evidence in patients with renal impairment. That's less than 30 mils. If we look at all the original trials of these DOACs, rivaroxaban, epixaban, and dabigatrin, only a small percentage of patients who had mild to moderate kidney disease were included in the trials, about 20, between 15 to 20% of the patients. Also, no patients less than 
30 mils were included in the trials. So there's very limited randomized controlled data supporting the use of DOAX in moderate to severe kidney disease. Lately, however, epixaban and rivaroxaban have some observational data supporting its use. Epixaban has been found to be as safe as that of warfarin in patients with moderate to severe kidney disease, including end-stage kidney disease. Similar results for rivaroxaban that it is as safe as warfarin in patients with moderate to severe kidney disease. A renal AF trial comparing epixaban 5 milligrams twice daily with warfarin was stopped early due to loss of funding. And if we look at some of the parameters with that trial, they are very similar to that of warfarin. This was conducted in end-stage kidney disease patients. Couple of interesting points to note here that only about 44% of the warfarin patients spent time in the therapeutic range. Also, we had a very small percentage of patients using the low dose of epixaban, that is 2.5 milligrams twice daily. So st we still don't have enough data whether 2.5 milligrams of epixaban is safe as that of warfarin and effective as that of warfarin. So these drugs are to be used with caution in patients with moderate to severe kidney disease because we know that the pharmacokinetics is affected. Um, a single dose of epixaban 5 milligrams post-hemodialysis increased the AUC about 36% compared to those with normal kidney function. Similar results for that of rivaroxaban. So the bottom line is for mild to moderate kidney disease, DOACs can be used safely with appropriate dosage adjustment. In patients with moderate to severe kidney disease, that is less than 30 mils, there's no randomized controlled trial data supporting its use. Data is mainly from observational studies. Important to note, the product information recommends avoiding use less than 15 mils for both epixaban and rivaroxaban. But epixaban 2.5 milligrams twice daily is used cautiously in, in end-stage kidney disease, including dialysis patients across many centers in Australia. There are a couple of upcoming randomized controlled trials, and the results, are, uh, one, the results from one of the trials are expected later this year, and the second one is expected mid-next year. The second big question we have is, what is the ideal measure to use for dosing in renal impairment? We know that EGFR with, with chronic kidney disease epidemiology formula is the most accurate estimate of kidney function. And for most drugs in clinical practice in patients who are of the average size, EGFR-based dosing is acceptable. However, all the guidelines for DOACs recommend using the Cockroft Gault equation for dosage adjustment. And there are two reasons for that. One is because these are high-risk drugs, a more conservative approach using the body weight should be considered. The second more important reason is that all the original trials with these DOACs use Cockroft Gault equation to assess the kidney function. Epixaban is slightly different in that, that patients need to fulfill two out of the three criteria to qualify for a, for a um, lower dose of 2.5 milligrams twice daily. And that is age of greater than 80 years, body weight of less than 60 kilograms, and serum creatinine of more than 133 micromoles per liter. So the bottom line, current guidelines do not recommend using EGFR for dosage adjustment with DOACs. Does it make a clinical difference? Recent studies suggest that it does make a clinical difference. 
Um, a recent study showed that CKD epidemiology formula will result in a different dosing for over a quarter of the patients. More importantly, a recent study showed that the thromboembolic complications was about five times higher with CKD epi versus that of Cockcroft Gault equation. That doesn't mean Cockcroft Gault equation is the most accurate formula. It does have it has its limitations in extremes of body weight. And some guidelines recommend using adjusted body weight in extremes of body weight, but real world data is, is limited in that circumstance. Let's look at a couple of examples um, of, of patients. So we have Mr. Smith, 76 years old, weighs about 63 kilograms. His serum creatinine is about 117 micromoles. He's currently prescribed rivaroxaban 20 milligrams once daily. If we look at the eGFR with CKD epidemiology formula, his GFR would be about 52 mils. Rivaroxaban is used at the right dose of 20 milligrams once daily. But if we look at the Cockcroft Gault equation formula, it's about 42 mils, and the dose would have to be reduced to about 15 milligrams. If we're using dabigatran, similar results. Dabigatran can be used at 150 twice daily with a GFR of about 52 mils. But 42 mils, dabigatran would be dosed at 110 milligrams twice daily. If we look at another example, Mrs. White, 83 years old, weight is about 51 kilograms, serum creatinine of 99 micromoles, currently on dabigatran 110 milligrams twice daily. EGFR is about 47 mils, dabigatran dose is correct. Cockroft Gold formula, the EGFR is about 31 mils. Dibigatran can be used at 110 milligrams twice daily, so it's the right dose in both these circumstances. But notice that Cockcroft called equation, dibigatran is coming close to borderline of contraindication. So it's also important that we regularly monitor the kidney function and adjust the dose appropriately. So bottom line or take home messages, all licensed doses for DOACs currently use Cockcroft called equation creatinine clearance. Epixaban uses a slightly different prescribing criteria that patients need to fulfill two out of the three criteria for the lower dose. For rivaroxaban and dabigatran, the current advice is to use actual body weight and Cockcroft Gault equation for dosage adjustment. The second dosing challenge is on extremes of body weight. We know that extremes of body weight results in physiological changes which can affect the pharmacokinetics of drugs and can result in adverse outcomes. There have been concerns that using fixed dose of DOACs, whether that leads to decreased exposure in obese patients and, and increased exposure in underweight patients. The International Society of Thrombosis and Hemostasis in 2016 suggested that DOACs should not be used if the body weight is more than 120 kilograms or if the BMI is more than 40. However, since then, there have been many studies that have um, shown that DOACs can be used safely in extremes of body weight. Most of this data is coming from post-hoc analysis of the original trials or subgroup analysis. A recent meta-analysis of 10 studies has concluded that DOACs can be used safely um, and effectively as that of warfarin in, in extremely obese patients. If you look at the post-hoc analysis of all the three major DOACs, epixaban um, pharmacokinetics was affected by weight, but it was not clinically significant. 
but more importantly the risk of stroke and bleeding is similar is is lower compared to that of warfarin with apixaban with rivaroxaban and dabigatran it is similar to that of warfarin couple of important points the the results of these post hoc analysis these are all re retrospective post hoc analysis um, or subgroup analysis where the percentage of uh, patients with extremes of body weight were quite limited so caution is still recommended when we're using doax in extremes of body weight probably more so with dabigatran because there have been some other studies that have shown that dabigatran systemic exposure can be impaired in patients who are at extremes of body weight Epixaban and rivaroxaban tends to perform better compared to dabigatran but important to recognize that there are no major prospective randomized controlled trials guiding that dosing so which one do we use rivaroxaban or or, or epixaban in morbidly obese patients the answer is it doesn't really matter both of them have been shown to be effective in in morbidly obese patients and a, re a recent uh, network meta analysis has concluded that there are no significant differences between them in morbidly obese patients how about patients with low body weight among low body weight um, we do know that there's renal function monitoring is very important they have low muscle mass so renal function can be overestimated important to note that epixaban has a dosage reduction in patients less than 60 kilograms rivaroxaban there's no consensus less than 60 kilograms but like dabigatran has shown to affect the systemic exposure there have been studies which have shown that there's increased systemic exposure so that's the main take home message if the patient is of normal body weight then we can use all three agents dabigatran rivaroxaban or epixaban if the patient is above 120 kg or more than 40 bmi then epixaban or rivaroxaban can be considered with caution important again to note there is no randomized controlled trial backing that um, it's more of post hoc analysis from the original trials if the patient has a low body weight of less than 60 kg then epixaban is probably the ideal choice The last dosing challenge we are going to discuss is hepatic dysfunction like renal impairment liver disease can increase the risk of bleeding complications stroke and thromboembolic complications epixaban is most reliant on hepatic metabolism about 75% followed by rivaroxaban about 65% and 20% for dabigatran both rivaroxaban and epixaban require sip enzymes for metabolism and more importantly all the original trials with these agents they excluded patients based on the child few classification if they had hip liver disease so current recommendations in liver disease all doax can be used in mild liver disease with no dosage adjustment if patients have got moderate liver disease then dabigatran and epixaban may be slightly better choices but there's very limited information as the original trials didn't include patients with with liver disease so the main take home message if patients have mild liver disease then all three agents can be used with no dose reduction if patients have moderate liver disease then dabigatran and epixaban can be used with caution all three are contraindicated in severe liver disease warfarin may still be an ideal choice for these patients where where the dose can be tightened using the inr 
So that's all I have. The main take-home message with um, these three specific groups of patients in kidney disease, DOAX can be used safely and effectively in mild to moderate kidney disease with dosage adjustment. If they've got moderate to severe kidney disease, then epixaban and rivaroxaban are the preferred choices. Important to note that there's no randomized control trial backing that, and the data is all from observational studies. Loax can be used in mild hepatic impairment with no dosage adjustment, but moderate to severe liver disease, it's best to avoid Loax. In extremes of body weight, morbidly obese, epixaban and rivaroxaban may be a better choice. Whereas in patients who are with low body weight, less than 60 kilograms, epixaban may be a better choice. Any questions with this presentation, happy to answer them. Uh, if you have any um, questions regarding the studies used for this presentation, happy to share them if you send me an email. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you are enjoying this series and will recommend it to your friends and colleagues. I'm Linda Calabresi, and on behalf of the team here at HealthEd, I look forward to joining you soon for our next podcast. If you enjoyed this audio segment, you can find out more about our free webcast lectures, which can be accessed from any device on our website at healthed.com.au. The podcasts published on this page are for medical professionals only. The content is not a substitute for medical advice. If you have a health issue, you should seek the advice of a suitable qualified health professional.